This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. I could tell you about Tamina Zahiri, who was bored in the classroom, didn't know what to do next, joined Praxis, and is now working at an amazing tech startup in Austin, Texas. I could tell you about Mitchell Earl, who was about to go to law school, even though he didn't want to and did not like the idea of all that debt and all that time. Instead, he joined Praxis, and now he is working at a fast-growing financial tech startup in Charleston, South Carolina. I could tell you about Diana Zeding, who at age 17 knew, she was way ahead of the game, she knew college was going to be a waste of her time. She had bigger, bolder ambitions than the classroom. She joined Praxis, and she got business partners fighting over her at only age 17. She's working with an amazing startup that is an international company. I could tell you about Mitchell Broderick, who quit school because it wasn't fast-paced enough for him. He wanted more, and a year later, after doing the Praxis program, he was hired on by his business partner, and he made six figures as a VP of business development. Six figures, while most of his peers were going five or more figures in debt, sitting in classrooms. I could tell you any of those stories. I could tell you that our graduates all get hired. The average income for Praxis grads is over $50,000 a year. That's after less than one year in the program at zero net cost. I could tell you more stories or I could tell you to discover Praxis for yourself. Go to discoverpraxis.com. Check it out. The program is intense. It's not for everyone, but if you're eager and you want more than college or more than grad school, you want to work with amazing startups and small business entrepreneurs, you want to learn by doing, go to discoverpraxis.com today. Welcome back to the podcast. Actually, you know what? I almost forgot. I was going to do a special intro for today's episode uh, that goes a little something like this. Yeah, that's right. Bob and Doug McKenzie. Because, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, well done, Ryan. I am joined by Ryan Ferguson and Amanda King Smith. Ryan and Amanda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. They are from Canada. So I was. I always like to play it up when people are from Canada, make it like it's some big deal, like they're really exotic and weird, mostly just to be ironic because, you know, people from the U.S., people from Canada, indistinguishable if you just see them in daily life, yeah. as long as, you know, you're like in a normal setting, not not like playing hockey or whatever. <laughs> are we, your, be first, able to are we your first international guests? Um, trying to think about that. You might be our first international guest. Nice. So this is now an international sensation, this yeah, podcast. Worldwide. Yeah. If you get somebody, one of your family members in Canada to listen, then uh, among my five listeners, we will have international um, coverage. So, so welcome. Uh, Ryan and Amanda, 
are the hosts of the World Wanderers podcast, which is a, an absolutely phenomenal podcast. And they've got a blog uh, as well, a site where they um, share some additional information on their world travels. And we're going to talk about a lot of things, but I think we should start with, here's the list. I asked Ryan, I said, what what do you want to talk about on the show? So this is what I got from Ryan. <laughs> Oil price trends, water aerobics, bears, the movie Zootopia, Puerto Rico's debt crisis, how fantastic the World Wanderers podcast is, and it is, uh, anything that I'm curious about, travel as a means to personal development, language learning, the awesomeness of podcasting, quitting your first career, psychedelics, and the Praxis experience. That's a great list. Was that was that in jest or are those things you really want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I'm... The first part might have been a little bit more serious than the second part. <laughs> I'm really Water eager aerobics. to get to bears. Yeah. Yeah. Bear. I wondered where bears came from. Let's start with bears. I mean, they're the sharks. Is that just not a left field or, or do you have some experience with bears? Uh, no. Yeah, absolutely no experience. With, with I'm really bears. disappointed. You're yeah. from Canada. You have no bear experience. Um, tell us about let's let's start with this. The World Wanderers podcast which, as I mentioned, is a really, really great podcast, um, and it's done very well. When did you start the podcast, and what made you decide you wanted to do this? Uh, we started the podcast when we returned from a six-month backpacking trip in South America. So that was, we returned July 2014, and it was Ryan's idea to start the podcast. And so we'd actually played around with recording a few episodes on Ryan's iPhone while we were still in South America. We just sit on our bunk beds in our hostel dorms and talk into the iPhone with the worst audio quality ever. And then it wasn't until actually August of 2014, once we were home, that we actually sat down, designed a logo, bought some microphones and released the podcast. Ryan, what was the what was the inspiration? Was this like, hey, this will be fun the way that, you know, journaling is fun is sort of self-discovery or was it, hey, we've learned some things that would be really helpful to other people when they're traveling or was it, hey, I want to turn this into my business and I want to become internationally known as a travel guru. What was the motivation for starting in the first place? Yeah, it was it really wasn't that well thought out. Um, I'd been listening to podcasts for quite a while. I'd spent, I worked in a vineyard um, during university and would just be outside all day doing kind of monotonous hand labor and just listening to podcasts constantly. Um, and then I guess it's better than whining about it. <laughs> but it oomed. I told you I would have one. a glass of whiskey, pun, so pun one. I will probably make bad jokes. Um, yeah, and I've been thinking for a long time, like, oh, it'd be cool to start a podcast, especially as the way, as a way to have conversations with cool and interesting people because one of the amazing things about having a podcast is you can reach out to people and say hey do you want to come do an interview which is a little bit less weird than just saying like hey do you want to skype with me um, <laughs> random person who i've never met before um and so yeah it was nearing the end of our trip and i kind of been playing with the idea starting a podcast this was right around the time tim ferris started his podcast so i had listened mm -hmm. to an episode he had done on starting a podcast or he had talked about um, listen to another podcast episode on smart passive income about starting a podcast and I was like thinking what am I what do I know what am I an expert at travel came to mind and I was like oh hey this would be a really good opportunity for me and Amanda to have some awesome conversations um, this would be a cool opportunity for me to be able to reach out and have cool conversations with other people so that was really the genesis of it 
And then over time, as it grew, it kind of started to become something where I was like, oh, this would be a cool way to um, maybe have a business. This is also fun in that it inspires other people to go traveling and, um, you know, even people who have decided to leave jobs they don't like and things like that. Amanda, uh, when Ryan was like, hey, let's do a podcast, did you have any objection to this? Like, I know, I know, uh, and I'm not trying to project on <laughs> on your relationship, and I don't even know if you guys were dating at the time, we but were. I know that, you know, I'll have ideas like this all the time and I'll pitch them to my wife. Hey, we should do this. We should. And her first reaction, probably just because it's coming from me is always like skepticism and like, yeah. meh, were you like, yeah, let's do this. Or were you kind of like, eh, why would we do that? I was a little bit like, mm, I don't know about this idea. I wasn't as into podcasts as Ryan was. It's actually kind of interesting. When Ryan started listening to podcasts, he listened to the sports podcast uh, with these two guys named Tim and Sid. And I just, I hated it. He put it on in the car and I was like, I hate this. <laughs> so then I generalized and I was like, I hate podcasts. <laughs> and it wasn't until I got whiplash uh, playing dodgeball, which is ridiculous, in 2013 and I could no longer read on my morning commute on the train. And Ryan's like, why don't you give podcasts a go? And he's like, you don't have to listen to one about these sports dudes talking about <laughs> sports. Like there's a lot of other stuff out there. And so I started listening to How Stuff Works. And I started listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You, which is really like women's issues. And these girls are just hilarious. And I was like, oh, this podcasting thing's pretty cool. And so when he said we should start one, I was kind of like, I don't really know if we can do that. Like, can you just start a podcast? Don't you have to have some qualifications for this? <laughs> um, and then we started talking more about how we could talk about travel. And I was like, oh, I love talking about travel. OK, I'm down to give this a try. And I never imagined myself to still be doing it two years later and to have started another podcast that I was hosting on my own. That was never something that I would have thought if you would have told me in 2013 that this is where I'd be in 2016. You know, it's so interesting how we have these sort of categories of activity and we associate them with certain things that maybe we don't have. So take public speaking, for example, or in your case, podcasting. When you hear podcasting or, hey, give a speech, you immediately like map onto that. Well, I've heard people podcast and they're experts at you know, whatever, X, Y, and Z, or I've heard people give a talk and they have spent their whole life studying or they've written a book. Who am I? I don't have the authority. I don't have the permission. What have I done? And I think it's, it's really hard for us to see the areas of our own expertise. Mm -hmm. I tell this to people a lot when it comes to public speaking. Like if, if you were told to give a talk on really any topic you can think of, I bet if you get creative, you can find a way to talk about an experience that's totally unique to you that somehow ties into that topic. And that way you are an expert on it because no one else has lived your life and your unique experiences. So I just think that's kind of an interesting epiphany like, well, how would I do a podcast? I'm not an expert. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, I've done something pretty interesting that not a lot of people have done. I've traveled in, to a lot of different places. Uh, I am an expert on my own experiences. Why don't I talk about that? And I, I think that's great, I man. That's Hemingway, write about the truest, write the truest sentence you know. Um, that's really cool. Okay. So did you always like, what did you want to do when you guys were each of you? I'd like, I'd love to hear when you were high school, college, did you have some kind of like dream or something you knew you wanted to do? Or were you just kind of trying to figure it out? That's, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, 
I think kind of when I was younger and then through school, I, I always dreamed of being a writer, being an author, publishing fictional novels about really cool stuff. And then as I got into high school, it was kind of drilled into me that you don't make money when you've got a Bachelor of Arts degree. You don't make money as a writer. Kind of like, you know, give up that dream, find something practical. And so when I decided... It's kind of sad. I that know. Was it, it is really sad. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's really sad when you think about it and that that's what a lot of kids are still going through. But when it came time to actually deciding about university, because university was never something that I didn't consider. It was just the path that I was on. It was the expectation that I'd go to university after high school. And I didn't second guess that at all at that time. And so I kind of was like, okay, I'm not going to make any money if I get an arts degree. And I don't really like blood, so I probably shouldn't be a doctor. <laughs> and I don't really like arguing, so I don't really want to be a lawyer. And I don't really have any interest in politics, so I'm not going to do like a political science degree. I was like, okay, that basically leaves business, so I'll get a business degree. And then, so I went into that, and I was just so fully immersed in that. I just assumed I'd get a corporate job and work my way up the ladder and get married and have some babies, take my maternity leave, and then retire at some <laughs> point. <laughs> so so let me, I, I want to dig into this a little bit, because this has always been really fascinating to me. People who choose business as a major, and because most people are sort of really on this tracked mindset that like your major equals your job title and your career and whatever you do and your purpose in life and everything else, it's also <laughs> sort of tied in. But you know, when you, when you grow up as a kid, maybe it's different in Canada, maybe they add lumberjack to the list, but there's like a small list of like, you know, Beaver. what do you, what do you, yeah, exactly. Hockey player. I don't know. What do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, it's like, it's like astronaut, you know, the mayor, a fireman, uh, a businessman. And it's like a picture of a dude with a suit and a briefcase. Yeah. But I mean, business is like, you know, 90% of jobs are in businesses, but they're so diverse. They're so different. And when you pick that major, it sounds like it was kind of more of a process of, okay, I know I don't want to do those things that are really well defined. Business is sort of very broadly defined, like working for a company. Mm-hmm. Was it that or was there something specific about business that intrigued you? How did you sort of make that decision? It was just narrowing down and then like figuring out the business was the most general thing I could do. It seemed like a smart option. Um, and I didn't declare a major when I was still in high school. I just chose general business. And then it was kind of interesting because after my first year of university, first year business is not really business. You take a bunch of general stuff. You take computer science and math and English classes and stuff. So that was fine. And then got into my second year and was like, took an accounting class that I ended up dropping because I was doing terrible in it and took a finance class and was like, what am I doing? Like, I hate this. <laughs> and then I actually considered switching out of it because one of my roommates was a communications major. And she's like, you're so artistic. And she's like, you love to write. Like, why don't you switch into communications? <laughs> and then a couple other people convinced me that that wasn't smart because it's really hard to get back into business if I change my mind. And so second year was just this confusing time where I was like, I don't know what I want to do. This communications thing seems better than this horrible accounting stuff. And one of my other roommates was like, I'm majoring in marketing. Uh, marketing's like the most creative aspect of business. Like, why don't you select your major to be marketing and then you can take all these cool classes on top of the classes that kind of suck. And so that's what I ended up doing. 
So, so I got to ask is because I know the feeling I mean, I remember being there too. And I changed majors like a million times. Communications was one of them. All these, you know, what is, what does a major in communications mean? I don't know, but <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I got, I got to ask you. So after you graduated, how many times has what you majored in actually mattered? Oh, basically like my first job, I think that, yeah. that I got, they, I, I actually worked for the university for a couple of years and actually, my major didn't even matter there because I didn't really do marketing for the first year that I worked there. And then they're like, oh, wait, what is your major in again? And I was like, marketing. They're like, cool, help us with our marketing stuff. So, yeah, basically it, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it, It's true. so amazing. Like that's that's like the thing that people stress about when they're in college, not realizing that what you major in, with the exception of a field that legally requires a specific degree, it just doesn't really matter like that's not going to be the thing that determines your future totally ryan what yeah. about you man well what did you want to be what was your dream what did you want to be when you grew up hockey it, player <laughs> yeah when i was young i wanted to be a hockey player but um <laughs> so you're fulfilling the stereotype really nicely <laughs> yeah i guess so um but yeah i just wanted to like make a bunch of money that was really the only thing when i was in high school um I had like no real clear vision of what I wanted to be doing other than just like not being in high school. Um, and then, <laughs> so going into university, that was really like the next step on the conveyor belt. There was never any thought about like, Oh, maybe there's something else I could be doing. It was just, Oh, you go to university. Um, and then, so I also took business just because I was looking through the list of things you could do. None of them really seemed to have any direct correlation to a career. So I was like, Oh, business. I'll do that. Um, and then I remember I had to pick a uh, concentration after you pick business. And I was like, okay, my, my dad's an accountant, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I picked <laughs> finance cause it was like the closest thing. That You're like, wasn't I want to rebel against my dad. And instead of being an accountant, I'm going to be going to finance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then afterwards, like the same thing for me applies. I, um, don't, I mean, a couple of the accounting classes came in, like a, a couple of those concepts came up in my job after university. But yeah, basically I could have um, could have just written that I had that degree and I would have been fine. No, no knowledge really applied to my first job. That's what's so funny is, you know, if you use the degree as a way to signal an interest or a knowledge level in something, um, it has, it sends a slight signal. If you're applying for a marketing job and you said you majored in marketing, it's like, okay, this person is, you know, somewhat interested in this and has been for a few years, but it's such a weak signal because the, no one believes if they're hiring you for a marketing role that you have like deep knowledge of marketing because of that major, you know, you could, you could signal that in so many other ways. It's just, it's just so interesting. Okay. So how did, I'm going to ask two questions. This is a twofer. How did you guys meet? And then when did you take your first big trip and, and sort of, I guess it's three questions. And was that like, oh, this is just a one-off trip or was that like a lifestyle decision? We are now going to be world wanderers. So we met in second year. Yeah. We lived in the same residence building in first year of university, um, two floors apart, but didn't really know each other. Then in second year, I was living with a bunch of friends, um, in a, yeah 
like five guys living in a house not a frat but like <laughs> similar lifestyle <laughs> um, bachelor pad <laughs> yeah and amanda lived up the street with four of her friends and one of my roommates had gone to high school with a few of amanda's friends so our groups of friends kind of just started intermingling eventually yeah we got to know each other started dating um so yeah since second year of university we've been dating and then travel we had both kind of had plans to go on trips immediately after we graduated which was 2011 um, so after kind of like the first couple months of our fourth year of university we started talking about going on this trip together didn't really have six months planned in our minds but i think i kind of did <laughs> yeah amanda was like a little bit more gung-ho and also has always had like a more so more long-term focus than i have mm -hmm. so yeah, we booked like, I think we booked a place to stay at uh, Pamplona for running of the bulls was like the very first thing we booked. Um, but yeah, it our trip was, we did our first couple months in Europe and then I was always kind of like uncertain about doing this whole six month thing. But once we had gotten out there and started traveling, um, we were both really kind of like addicted to that feeling of just doing whatever we wanted not wanting to come back to this reality of going home and finding our first post-university jobs <laughs> um, but our first trip it was never it was never like we were gonna start this lifestyle of roaming around the world and being location independent entrepreneurs it was very much like this is an acceptable break you can go on a like a kind of like a great excursion at the end of your university to kind of complete your education and then it's down to real life, you know, get a job, start a career, uh, start working. Yeah, it was one of That's those things where like I was like, OK, I'm going to go to university straight out of high school. And I had a few friends who went traveling in between. And I was like, I just feel like maybe I'll never go if I go traveling first. So I need to go. I need to get my education and then I can travel. So it's kind of like this thing that I promised myself that I would do when I graduated before getting a job. And it was never something that. Like, I never thought that I would be this person who just didn't want to go back to a job ever and that I'd want to work for myself and travel the world. That wasn't what we went into the trip intending. That's such an interesting and, and very common approach to, you know, exploring the world. Okay, once I'm finally, you know, 22, 23, whatever it is, and I've finally, you know, gone through high school, I've gone through college, now I can travel for one month, two months, six months, a year. Then it's sort of back to the grind and then someday I'll retire and travel again. And I always feel like it's such a sad sort of, I think it's Seth Godin who's like, maybe, you know, maybe instead of planning your next vacation, try to plan a life that you don't want to escape from all the time. Yeah. Like if you love traveling the world, there are a lot of ways to create a life where you can travel the world a lot. You know, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's not going to be hard work, but I've always just found that kind of sad, the sort of like. I'm traveling the world before I kind of give up on having fun and just like plug into, you know, quote real life. Um, Definitely. yeah, I remember it's kind of, it's kind of a weird we concept. Were, we were out there traveling we were both just avoiding thinking about the end of it. And we had graduated before most of our social circle had. So, um, yeah, we're very much just trying to avoid thinking about the next like 25 years of our life, which we had kind of resigned ourselves to living in this conventional fashion 
Now, are Canadians just like ridiculously wealthy? Because I feel like every time I travel internationally, there are some young Canadians who are like, oh, we're just traveling for like six months. And I always wonder how they afford, how so, they afford it. How did you afford the, the how did you fund this excursion? So we both worked um, in high school and in university quite a bit uh, to have savings. But I've thought a lot about this, too, because um, when you go traveling, you meet a ton of Australians, quite a few Canadians. Yeah. And then compared to population size, like very few Americans. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's a cultural thing. Like it's way more culturally acceptable for Australians to be like, oh, hey, I'm quitting my job. I'm just going to go travel for like nine months and spend all my money. Um, similar thing for Canadians, maybe not as much as in the States, but I think it's a lot to do with uh, university being partially socialized and publicly funded. Um, so you, most Canadians may have a little bit of debt coming into college, but a typical semester at a Canadian university costs like $2,500. Yeah, so one well, year. Well, it obviously costs more than that, but you don't have to pay that much because taxpayers are paying it. Yeah, yeah so, so the, so the taxpayers it. are generously funding the world travels of... The world <laughs> waters, yes. Or yes, uh, Canadians young and, Canadians. and Australians. Yeah, so that's the, that's the reason that I kind of attribute that to more maybe culturally having a bit less of a focus on uh, there seems to be a bit more like ambitious drive work 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 focus in the states yeah. as well but uh well, this and the stakes are kind of higher in some ways like all right kid you know uh you took out these loans and you know we your parents gave you 50 grand or whatever we helped you get into this great school and you know this mm -hmm. is this is what we have fought for as your parents, now use your degree for something. There's this idea that if you graduate and you're not using your degree for something immediately, it's like a failure and a loss, um, which, you know, my response is, you know, if you, if you don't want to use your degree, then don't go get it in the first place. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is, it is definitely a cultural pressure. Um, there's definitely a cultural pressure in the United States that I think is a little bit stronger. And I mean, if you, if you've got like 60, $60,000 in debt, it's, it's a little bit harder to be like, oh, yeah. Hey, I'm go just going to drop gonna, like 10 no, grand on a trip. The, what's the difference between 60 and 70? I'm just going to go spend six months in South America. You know, that it's so interesting. The, the, the ways that you can gain. So if you purely a, a looked at it from like a human capital standpoint, like, okay, I'm going to invest in myself what can I do in the next three months or six months with the least amount of money to get the highest return on becoming more of the type of person I want to be, more valuable in the marketplace, et cetera? International travel would rank pretty high, especially when you're young and you haven't had a lot of exposure to it. Those first few trips, you know, I used to do summers when I was a teenager and I would, I would work and save up my money and go on these trips for a couple weeks or a couple months. The value is just so high. It's just, I, I just... I feel like it's sad that many people don't see it that way. They see it as a luxury good. They don't see it as sort of a, a way to invest in themselves and becoming sort of who they want. And, and I kind of get the objections to like, oh, I'm going to go find myself. So I need to spend my parents' money for a year, you know, wandering the hostels of Europe so I can discover myself. And it's like, well, why don't you just get a job, kid? Like there's part of me that, that I get that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's, it's just sad that it – why doesn't it start earlier? You know, why, why don't you start when you're 15, 16, 18 – 20, you know, uh, just dabble in it, get out there a little bit. It's not that expensive compared to, you know, schools and universities and things like that. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. Like the, the experiences that you can get internationally are invaluable. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about 
between me and Amanda how how especially like kind of like a bit of a more roughing it backpacking style where you're staying in hostels it's just um just incredible for like maturing and also really conducive to building self-esteem because you just got to be completely responsible for yourself um you get split off from you know your family the social circle that you were in you've got to continually meet new people and continually dealing with um just kind of getting the things you need in a new city especially if you're going places like south america where you have to you know learn how to speak the language to get what you need or maybe Mm. you're in asia and it's incredibly confusing to even cross the road or to find a new restaurant and all these experiences um if i could go back to be the 17 year old version of myself instead of going to university um, and obviously praxis is a very good option as well but just saying hey, I'm gonna <laughs> well take, played well played gonna take this money right there <laughs> take this money that i would have spent on college and just go like peace off and spend like a year kind of roaming around doing doing whatever i wanted to do at the time but nothing in particular so i want to ask you guys about a, a moment that you can that's very clear that you can remember in your international travels that sort of mirrors this so now that i have kids it's fun to see there are moments when kids they they are just beaming with pride they're just so proud of themselves for having accomplished something that to an adult seems really simple but to a kid it's a big deal so whether it's you know beating a level in a video game or learning to spell some words or write something or learning to ride a bike, learning to do things that adults do. They, they have this sense of pride that's really hard to recapture. Yes, you can continue to give yourself challenges when you're an adult and you feel really proud when you achieve them. But there's something about being a kid in an adult's world when you learn to like do something that only adults can do where you just feel like, yes, you know, I did it. International travel is sort of the one way as an adult to be in that spot where you're you're at the the level of a child in many ways in cultures and languages you don't understand and like when you figure out how to do something basic you have that same sense of just like pride like I can do anything mm-hmm. so give do you guys have any examples of times when you're just really proud of yourself for what you accomplished that that you know if you were back in in Canada or the states would not have been a big deal but when you were out there on international travel you just felt like yes i can do anything yeah definitely that's an amazing question um when we were in southeast asia i mean southeast asia is just a whole another world it's so overwhelming when you first get there it's completely overstimulating and we arrived in ho chi minh city in vietnam and we'd been told that it was a little bit crazy there And just being on the bus, I remember taking, trying to snap photos from the bus window of all the mopeds that are there. There's just thousands of them everywhere. Everyone drives mopeds, except these big buses that carry tourists and locals around. And there's no streetlights. And we were like, how do we cross the street? Like there's a constant stream of motorcycles. And the people at our first hostel there told us that you just need to start walking. And I was like, "Uh, I don't think so. I'm not going to do that. And they're like, well, you're not going to cross the street then. So it's like like, that scene from Indiana Jones. Like you just have to take the first step across the canyon and then you'll see the bridge, you know? Totally. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. So Ryan and I rock up to our first big street and there's just constant, constant stream of mopeds. Like the idea of waiting for them to stop is not even feasible (laughs) if we want to cross the street. And so we kind of waited till like a local person got there and then we just 
walked kind of in a parallel line with them. And so they step out into the street. So we step out too, and we're walking beside them. And I placed myself (laughs) on the right side of Ryan so that I would be the last person to get hit if that was the case and just started walking and you're not supposed to stop and you're not supposed to run. You just walk at a steady pace and the mopeds know to just plan their travels around you. And sure enough, it works. But it was like making our way across that first street was just this moment of like, oh my gosh, we just crossed the street in Ho Chi Minh City safely. <laughs> like I did not just die. <laughs> like It was just this fantastic moment of we did it. <laughs> yeah, we had in Southeast Asia in particular, we had a ton of those. Um, I remember getting to Bangkok, which was the first time I'd been anywhere. Like the least developed country I'd been to at that point, I think was Greece. Um, but in Bangkok, for some reason, there's a lot of people trying to scam you if you're white. Um, so we went one day to go to some big tourist attraction, leave a little like there's a, a road called Kosan Road, which is kind of where all the tourist debauchery happens. Um, leave that street try to find a way to a river ferry and on the way there someone's like oh no the river's ferry's closed like something about the king shows us some like newspaper but we can't read so we're like okay this person's probably lying to us go out take the river ferry eventually end up downtown um and then to get back from downtown to the area we're staying in they have these little little canals with kind of like motorized canoes that you can take they're called like water taxis or something yeah, so we were trying to find our way to one of those, talk to someone, they tell us the same thing, like, oh, these are closed, you can't find it. Um, eventually, we find one of these boats. I don't even remember I- exactly how we decided which one we were going to get on, but uh, get on one of these boats, spend like five minutes traversing through these canals, eventually spot a landmark that we recognize. Um, Dive off the boat. Just, yeah, jump out of the boat because they don't really stop. Didn't have to pay anyone for some strange reason. Wait, like, like... Onto the shore or into the water? <laughs> no, 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 yeah. They, like, pull, <laughs> okay. they like, pull up to a platform like really quickly, and then you just got to like get out of the boat quickly before they start going again. Um, yeah, get out of the boat, and we're like, oh, hey, we walked to this place before. Like, We can recognize. We can get back to our hostel. And I remember feeling like this was like the biggest win I've had in like <laughs> six months. <laughs> like, like, wow, we made it to downtown Bangkok and back on a boat. Uh, Two boats. Yeah, avoided like... A bunch, a bunch of scams, of scams. <laughs> like we're still alive we still have our wallets we haven't been stabbed yet <laughs> isn't it an amazing feeling like and, and i suspect that if you were to go back there with someone who'd never been there before you would probably feel like such an authority you'd be like oh nope okay you don't want to do that you don't want to do that like even though you have just you know a very small relatively slice of experience it's like once you master something brand new for the first time it just it just catapults you into a level of confidence and willingness to try things that I think mm-hmm. is is so, so beneficial. Yeah, it was funny being, we showed up in Bangkok. We were there for, I don't know, five days at the start or something like that. And we really didn't stray too far. And then <laughs> like after, spending, far at all. <laughs> after spending six, six weeks going through Cambodia and Vietnam and Laos and then coming back to Bangkok towards the end of our time in Southeast Asia, we just felt like, I don't know. King of the city. Like Maybe we've got, we've got city, this. But yeah. We're just going everywhere. Like Bangkok is like the nicest place. Like there's so much stuff to do. It's so amazing. Uh, <laughs> this place that had been like terrifying the first time we landed because of how crazy it was. Um, seemed like 
you know, first world country, basically. <laughs> that's, that's really amazing. I, I, that's one of the things I love about, you know, putting yourself in any situation that's really unfamiliar. International travel is, a, is one of the best ways I can think of to do it, but where it just puts things in perspective in a way where you realize how much more you have in common with certain things or how, how relative things are in terms of, you know, it's easy to feel like to have imposter syndrome. Like I don't know a lot. I'm not an expert, whatever. If you stay in one really tight bubble, but when you expand your horizons a little bit, you realize that you have so much to offer so many people in the world. I mean, whether we're talking about the job market or just conversationally, I have a friend who likes to say, you know, if you read five books on any subject, you will immediately be in the top 5% of people in the world in terms of knowledge of that subject. Like you're not that far away from being at being able to sort of converse with experts. And I just think that's a really cool realization that like once yeah. you try something new, you're kind of in a different territory that allows you that just opens up a massive world to you. It doesn't take that much to be able to, you know, launch a podcast about travel. Once you've, I mean, the stories you're telling me now, you know, I've never been to Southeast Asia. So to me, you guys are experts. I'm listening to every word, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that uh, we've really had to keep in perspective, even as we have done our podcast, like we, we get some emails from listeners who are like, wow, this experience was so cool. Or, you know, the things that you share are so amazing, like I'm learning so much from you. And it's, we have to keep that in mind, because it's, it's just life to us in a lot of ways, it becomes very normal. It's like, oh, yeah, I've I've done two bungee jumps and I skydived like no big deal type thing. Not that it is no big deal, but it, it's just, you normalize it, it because it's what you've lived. I was listening to a podcast. Uh, it's like a really short one. It's called, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a guy named Dan Sullivan. He's kind of like a coach. He like coaches entrepreneurs and whatever. And he said, you know, the thing that you do as an individual, that's the most valuable to the rest of the world, your comparative advantage it's probably something you don't even think of as being valuable because to you it comes so easy. But if you ask your friends, they'll be able to tell you, oh, you're really amazing at this. And you're like, well, isn't everybody? Because to you, it just seems like nothing. It just seems like a normal part of life. But that's often the stuff where you have the most to offer the world. Um, so, you know, you said it's it's just kind of life toss. We're just t traveling, taking trips. You know, we're not experts or anything like that. But But that's something, your ability to do that, that's probably valued a lot more than you, you understand by, by the rest of the world. Um, okay. I want to ask you about, so you guys, you guys are dating now. How many, how many trips have you taken? Like how many months have you spent abroad since 2011 when that first trip was together? We've spent 12 months apart. Or, okay. Uh, not apart. Sorry. I was going to say 12 months on the road together. And then we both took solo one month trips, uh, okay. in 2015. And so, I guess you could count the U S as abroad. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm abroad right no, now. It's, so. not. it's it really isn't. I mean, as long as there's Tim Hortons within a hundred miles, you know, it's not exactly. I don't, think, exa there's, I don't, I don't think, think there's Tim Hortons. Well, you guys are miles. yeah, you're in Atlanta right now, so there's probably no Tim Hortons. So yes, you are in foreign soil. Um, <laughs> My so passport as, says I'm traveling in the U.S. right now. <laughs> so, so as a couple, I mean that's that's a whole different dynamic. I mean anybody a traveling buddy for that long, for anything more than I would say two or three weeks, 
you're going to start to get annoyed with the way that people leave toothpaste in the hotel room or, you know, you're backpacking somewhere and somebody always has to stop to go to the bathroom or whatever. That's hard enough as as any kind of travel buddy. But when you're in a relationship and you're dating, I mean, I've got to imagine there's been some strain. What, what has that been like? What are the dynamics or, or is it the opposite? Like you guys get along best when you're traveling, but when you're back home, you sort of like don't know how to have a normal relationship. I don't know. (laughs) What, What has that been like? It was weird going, going into it. Um, the first time a lot of people were like, Oh, going and traveling with your girlfriend. Uh, yeah, we that'll be, that'll be like intense or hard as if, <laughs> as if it'd be easier to travel with someone you don't really know that well. Um, it doesn't really make sense when you think about it. I wish people deeper. would say that about like, Oh, having kids and you've only been married for a year. That's going to be really intense. Most people assume that's not going to be intense, but it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did travel such a preposterous, uh, thing to say about it. But, uh, yeah, it, it's funny because it's something we've talked a lot about how like for 12 months, we basically spent like 99% of our time together. Like a few times we would stray and do our own things. But for the most part, like all the time we're together, which when you compare it to someone who's just or a couple who are going about their lives, both working jobs that are kind of like eight to six with commutes you're actually seeing your coworkers more than you're seeing your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, um, wife, wife. I, I was like, I, I'm going <laughs> too like long. You're, you're missing, a, you're wife, missing one. <laughs> life partner, lover. Um, <laughs> sorry if I missed anything. We want to make sure we don't miss anything. Yeah. Don't want to offend Pets, any, uh, any um, of the listeners. <laughs> but yeah, you just get to so much deeper level of uh, conversation and just connection with someone when you're spending that much time with them and of course you also get I think when you're traveling with a friend your disagreements are probably um, more surface level (laughs) more surface yeah like we've had some like pretty pretty intense fights uh, while we were traveling the second oh I want I want to hear about these um, the second time we were traveling we almost broke up um, but then it was kind of like, that was like a really big, like turning, point turning point for, for our relationship. Where we, what was it related to something you were going through on the travel? Um, it was a little bit, so it's kind of interesting cause I'm like a pretty calm person, um, as you would have met me and I teach yoga now. So that keeps me like pretty level headed, but I was actually like explosively angry a couple of years ago and it just got to a point where where Ryan was like, I can't deal with you anymore. Like it's, it's not okay for you to use me as a punching bag. And it was just something, I mean, I grew up in an environment where that's kind of how we, we dealt with emotions, like not physically, but it's just, you know, we, it's like, I'm angry. I'm yelling at you. (laughs) And so that, that's what I knew to be okay. And Ryan kind of was the first person in my life who laid down the law and was like, that's not okay. And it took him being like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't, deal with this where I was actually like I need to I need to make a change in my life like it's it's not okay for me to treat somebody that I apparently love like that and so that was probably like the most intense point for us as a couple where where were you and did you worry like oh no what happens if we break up like one of us has to fly home or (laughs) you know like from a practical standpoint we were in Cusco Peru um, and we had been like renting in an, an Airbnb at that point. And I think we had, we had a trek to Machu Picchu. Yeah, we had a, like a trek to Machu Picchu plan together for like three days from that 
point and Ryan's like I'm just not gonna go like I'm I'm just not I can't do this and I was like what like it was really the first moment in my life where I'd really taken it seriously that it was not okay to just yell at somebody because and for for no reason like that's kind of how it was is I would you know fill the glass up with things that bother me and never express it and then you know the glass would get too full and it'd start overflowing and then I'd be like like a dragon like just like I need to like (laughs) let some emotion out (laughs) yeah and I think that had we just been Um, Well, so we spent two years after our first trip working and we'd come back from traveling with kind of these big plans for what we wanted to do with our lives and just kind of fell into this routine. Um, And in many ways, it wasn't like a, I don't know, productive, enriching relationship during that point because we'd just come home from work. We both weren't happy with our jobs. We both weren't really happy with our lives and we're kind of just, you know, eat dinner in front of the TV, watch a couple hours of TV and go to bed. And that was our quality time together, quote unquote. Um, So then going traveling the second time, having so much time to spend with someone, all of those little things that you could maybe ignore if you've got all these pressing work concerns on your mind or if you've got the TV on. You can just just turn down the next Netflix episode. Yeah, it's going to bring all that stuff to the surface and then you get to deal with that and go through it and maybe that causes you to separate and say this person isn't the one or maybe it it comes up and then you work on these things and then you get to a place where you are really confident together um, because you can't be distracted from it like the way you can when you're at home and you've got a million other things to deal with. So I, I don't want to put you in a position where you're like, you know, giving universal relationship <laughs> advice, <laughs> but, but, but do you think like, if you have a weak relationship, you know, international travel will make it stronger. Or if you have a weak relationship, international travel will probably destroy it. Or if you have a strong relationship, it will make it weaker or it will make it even stronger. Like, do you have sort of a, a sense on that? If you see somebody in a relationship, would you say, oh, they should definitely not travel the world together or, oh, they definitely should? I think that I would tell every person to travel with their partner. I mean, I think that if you have a weak relationship that travel will bring out those things and you can make a choice as a couple or maybe as individuals to either separate or to work on that or you can you might go traveling and you realize that these things we thought were really great about our relationship are actually really great and then you've got the opportunity to get to know that person on a deeper level and strengthen into even more things and so I think that there's there's pros regardless because I think if you're with somebody that you don't get along with, that you truly don't get along with, and you're kind of just like, oh, I don't see them that much. Like, you know, I surface level love them enough. Then you're probably denying yourself something that could be pretty great, I think. So that's what I would say. I'd say that everyone should travel with their partner. Do you agree, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the... Amanda kind of touched on it, but the idea that it could cause you to, um, like if you're going to, if spending more time with someone is going to cause you to split up or to have, you know, (laughs) issues come up, like that's something you want to find out. It's like, if if there's, we're we're only good in a long distance relationship. (laughs) If we, if, if we avoid each other, um, for eight hours a day while we're at work and then like mentally don't really connect when we're at home. Like it's fine. 
Um, it's like, that's probably not a good situation to be in. Um, so I think it's really good for bringing those things up. And then also just having kind of like we talked about earlier with you get all these small wins and challenges that you get to overcome and you get to do all that stuff together with someone is really amazing. And it's also fun to just have so much shared experience together. You know, there's sort of that, I don't know, band of brothers effect. Like if you're in the foxhole with somebody, if you're in the trenches with somebody and just going through hard things together, there's a bond there that's a different kind of bond than you can get anywhere else. And when your relationship with your you know, spouse or, or uh, your partner, when you also have that added on, you've been through some some cool stuff together and seen how each other responds in a crisis and overcome it together. It just adds a really powerful layer that when when things get sort of difficult in normal life, I think you can kind of uh, lean on or almost use as a as a foundation. Yeah, um, definitely. How many languages do you guys speak? I speak English very fluently. I speak Spanish on a conversation. Now, is that separate level. from Canadian? No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, my Canadian English is pretty good too. <laughs> I've been told. <laughs> so, so English and then uh, Spanish, you as well? Conversationally, I would definitely okay. not say fluently. You'll get some Latino person listening who will call us up and slew off some Spanish that I won't understand. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm the same. I think I'm okay. a little bit better at Spanish than Amanda. Yeah, and then any, any other bit, languages? Ryan's a little bit better than uh, Spanish. We were both, um, both learn French in public school, but a, a testament to public school in Canada. Neither of us know any of it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so so that Canada. hasn't been, because I don't, a lot of people feel like, you know, I can't go to X country unless I know the language. You guys have been to a lot of countries where you don't know the language at all. Has that has that been an impediment or would you say, oh, you really need to learn the language before you go to, you know, this place or that place? Or do you feel like, you know, with a good, you know, with English, you can you can find your way through just about anywhere? Being a native English speaker, you can really travel to most places and be OK. Um, we try not to be like super ignorant to other people's languages. And I think that was from learning, learning through experience. Um, because the first time we traveled, Spain was the first place that we went where we didn't speak the language language. And at this time we only had high school level Spanish that we'd both learned, uh, which was not good. And we showed up in Pamplona, which is a tiny little town in Northern Spain where they host the running the bulls festival. And we were going to book a train ticket and we walked up and we're like, habla inglés. And the guy just goes, no. And we were like, okay uh -oh. but yeah like uh oh and we're like train ad domingo barcelona barcelona and he was like just not having any of it like he was really <laughs> really unimpressed which I, I don't blame him for and it was probably the most like culture shock i've ever experienced because from there it was just going to order food and um my stomach doesn't deal with a lot of foods very well so i'm really particular about certain things that I can and cannot eat and I didn't know any words for food other than pollo is chicken so I'd look at the menu and most places didn't have English menus and I would find something that said pollo and point at it and hope that it turned out to be something that I was <laughs> able to eat <laughs> and it was just this moment of like wow I'm so ignorant to just assuming that everyone should speak the language I speak and so that was a big learning for going to South America. We made a conscious effort to learn some Spanish before we went down to South America and we continuously learned it while we were traveling so that we could get better and better and be able to get by in Spanish. 
And I think that's, that's important is especially for Latin American countries, um, Asia, not as much. Yeah. And it was, um, so it was conscious decision after the first time we traveled, we were looked back and we're like, wow, we were really kind of dumb for not other, you know, we tried in Spain, but we really didn't even like try to learn a language in any of the other countries we visited. Um, so when we were in South America, we were like, okay, we definitely got to, got to learn some Spanish, but it was still very much a utilitarian kind of mindset where we're like, okay, we got to get Spanish so we can use this. But one of the big realizations I think we both had when we were traveling in South America was just how fun and engaging it is to learn a language. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I really fell in love with it when I kind of like two to three months into our South America trip where we had stopped for a while and we're doing a homestay and we're actually having conversations in Spanish with our host and going to Spanish school and you could really start to use it. And it's just like such a trippy feeling to see yourself speaking different sounds at someone (laughs) and getting it. And you like, like understanding words that are not English is really cool. Yeah. It's (laughs) it's like so cool. and so exciting. And uh, it's really a shame how the school system kind of takes that subject and makes it so boring and gives so many people the impression that it's some sort of task or some sort of utility equation where it's like okay spanish makes sense in south america because it's so x many countries and you can use it the whole time but if you're going to europe there's no point because you've got to learn a bunch of different languages but when you actually start learning and start using it it's one of the most fulfilling things you can learn and practice just removing any kind of learning from a from a context from an incentive structure where you can immediately see how you benefit makes it so dead. You know, you go to a country and you're like, I immediately can benefit if I only learn three words, you know, bathroom, food, and you know, whatever. Um, I can see how that benefits me. Now I'm motivated. I have an interest. And then when I actually learn it, I get this, this psychic high, like I did something, I accomplished something, but if it's devoid of any context, it's like, okay, so I repeated the word you told me to repeat. I memorized it. Who cares? I'm not proud of myself. So what? I memorized some words, but there's no, you know, there's sort of no reward for that. Um, what would you say, is there like any tips if someone says, okay, I'm going to a country, I don't really know the language. What's the best way to get people to give you the most grace and be the most forgiving of your lack of language knowledge? I think learning a few words, like for Spanish, if you can learn um, like, hello, please, thank you, bathroom. Um, Like those words are all very simple to learn. I think that people are usually pretty forgiving. If you, if you're, if you're trying, it's when you walk up and you're like, hi, I don't speak any Spanish and I'd really like for you to help me in English. And you're speaking to that, that in English, they don't understand what you're saying. You're not trying with them at all. You're not making an effort to be a part of their, their culture. So I think Mm -hmm. just learning a few words is, is amazing. Like even when I went to Bali for my teacher training, it was, you know, thanking that person in their own language. I feel like you can just see like they, they smile, it makes their day and they speak English. They're happy to take your order in English. They've learned English for you to travel easily there, but for you to make the effort to learn that one word seems like it goes a long way. And I think it's really a lot to do with your attitude that you bring to it. Just having no shame about seeming like a fool in whatever (laughs) language you're speaking and being lighthearted about it. Um, 
because so much of the struggle with learning a new language is that you have all these kind of like passive maneuvers that you can use and that you know in English, but you've just got to be really assertive and kind of look stupid if you want to go up to someone and say like, give me coffee, please. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas like, you know, you're in English and you're like, oh, do you think that it could could maybe have uh, coffee? Like, it's no big deal if we can't. But you just got to be assertive. You got to go up to people. You got to look like an idiot. It's it's probably more like with me. It'd be more like you know, coffee me cup now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Some random collection of words that roughly approximates. Yeah, throw in like washroom or something. <laughs> I feel like that means so much more to those those people than if you're just trying to spew English words at them. Like I know my parents came down to visit us in Ecuador and we actually had our baggage lost between Cuenca and Quito. And so we go and we're talking to the airline and we have basically no vocabulary for lost baggage at this point. So we're trying to communicate with this woman and my dad's a little bit hot headed and he's trying to talk to the woman. He's like, well, one bag came out, but the three didn't. And like, this isn't really acceptable. Like when are our bags going to come? And I was like, dad she doesn't understand a word you're saying like you're getting so heated about this and she doesn't understand you all she knows is you're getting angry at her because she's interpreting your body language Mm. which is it doesn't matter what words you're using people people understand tone of voice people understand body language that's a universal thing and I think that was an interesting moment for me recognizing that even if I couldn't say everything to try and use the words that I did know and to Mm. really try to be open and friendly and put myself out there makes a huge difference. I I actually have an interesting experience being on the reverse side. Um, Last year I had taken a trip to go to the Czech Republic and while I was there, I was trying to learn Czech, which was a little bit complicated and no one really wanted to speak to me in Czech when I was there. But then when I was back home, I was working as a waiter and one day a gigantic tour group of Czech people come into the restaurant and none of them speak English. So they're all, you know, shouting stuff at me in Czech as if I would get that. Um, so then one woman I approached um, and I, I couldn't remember. I don't remember what question I asked her, but I asked her something in Czech that I had remembered from when I was learning a few months before. And then she replied to me in Czech saying, I don't speak English. <laughs> like, Checkmate. It's like, like, I've tried here. Um, but it's, it's funny, like when you people are working at this restaurant there was a lot of tourists because we were living in a tourist town and a a lot of people would use like people would use german if they were german and didn't speak english or czech or you know french and it's like i do not speak those languages i don't know what you're talking about yeah i had the Uh, same thing working in retail i worked for lululemon and there's a lot of asian people who really like lululemon clothes and a lot of asian people really like the mountains and they would try to speak to me in Chinese or Japanese or Korean or whatever and I was like I don't know what you're saying I did work with one girl though who'd lived in South Korea for a year and she was so so helpful in those cases because she could speak a little bit of South Korean and the people just loved her because of it but it's uh, that it's yeah it's that 80 20 rule in fact with languages I would almost feel like it's like a one 199 rule like if you learn one percent of the words of a language like you have made ridiculous progress towards, you know, being useful, being able to navigate uh, compared to, you know, learning five words makes you an orders of magnitude more capable than knowing zero words. You yeah, know, if you can do like, do you speak English? Thank you. 
It, it's like please. the pronouns, like him, her, his, you know, and, uh, you know, who, what, when, where, why, how, and then like magnitudes, you know, uh, large, small, far, near, you know, like if you just, just learn those in a language, you can navigate almost any situation, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So what would you say? So you guys have, I mean, in the last five years, you've been on the road, you've been abroad traveling for like 20, 25% of the time at least. What would you say? Is this just a phase? Are you just in a travel phase or is this who you are? Are you just always going to be have this wanderlust and going to be traveling everywhere? And if it's the latter, how do you plan to make that work with earning an income? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I mean, I don't predict the future. I don't necessarily know where I'll be in 10 years. And I think that life can throw you all sorts of curveballs and things can change really fast. But for right now, I see travel being something that's going to be important for me forever. And I think that it'll be important when I have children at some point as well. Um, I don't know necessarily if travel will be the same thing as, you know, we get older and have a family, but I think it will be something that's always going to be a priority. I think for the next few years, we want to be pretty nomadic and hopefully working from anywhere in the world. Both of us are pretty entrepreneurial and are just sort of delving into the things that really interest us and hope, hopefully making some more money doing that pretty soon. Yeah. And um, so Amanda and I have talked a lot about if we were to start a family, is it like how, how does it affect it? a child if they're just constantly on the move. And I think it, it seems like you need to provide some stability in terms of location so that they can have a social circle and people they know. Um, but at, at least having like a couple months of the year when we're traveling as a family. Um, but yeah. for the next, the next kind of stage of our life, it's really about um, going from doing these trips as kind of a break between life yeah like work for two years and then go travel when we were coming back from that second trip we were like no this is we've n never felt more alive than we have when we've been out exploring new places moving around getting to experience new cultures so it's not really worth it to go back to living in, in this kind of lifestyle that makes us feel kind of like dead inside so <laughs> since that <laughs> moment we've been we've been moving um we've stayed somewhere for a year down here for 10 months just trying to keep some change going in our life mm -hmm. um, and then so we're both working on building businesses around um, travel and yoga that would allow us to live a life where we can be wherever we want in the world and still supporting ourselves it's kind of mm. interesting too. I was talking to my dad about this recently because he was like I don't know how you're gonna build a business online and I was like well, you know, lots of people build businesses online. Like it's 2016 now, you know, there's a lot of ways to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's conventional like that. He's old school. Uh, but it was just interesting talking to him about all the possibilities that are out there. And I think that travel has really opened my eyes to how many possibilities there are. And I think that's a big thing is that why life was so on the conventional path before we ever traveled is because you only know what you know you don't know the things you don't know so when we traveled we met people from all over the world doing so many cool things and that was the first time where i was like 
whoa, there's so many other things that I could be doing with my life. Like I don't need to work in an office if I don't want to. And then we got sucked into that. But then going the second time, it was like this affirmation of like, you know, life can be so much more. Life can be whatever you want it to be. And Mm. so I think that's where we're really at right now is holding true to that and making that like a very real thing for us. So your podcast, which by the way, I love it. It's you guys are very, you have like this very soothing sort of, it's like, ah, listening to you guys discuss things. You have these very sort of calm voices and this, this really great, uh, <laughs> great rapport. <laughs> Thank you. I love, I love your podcast. Um, it's done really well. I mean, it's been, it's been really successful and you have, you have sort of learned, at least it appears to me, to how to kind of do digital marketing, how to market content online. You have a great book, a, a guide to traveling South America, um, which you can get at theworldwanderers.com. Um, your podcast has done really well in its category on iTunes. How did you learn the kind of marketing and business side of this podcasting thing? Have you, have, is there certain resources you've gone to? What has been sort of the most valuable in helping you learn how to maximize that? Hmm. That's I a good question. We've, I, I, I definitely think it's funny that you say it, we're doing it well because I think on our end, a lot of times we're like, wow, we're really like not doing this that well. <laughs> <laughs> we got interviewed. Well, I have four listeners and you have a lot more than we that. Got, so that's <laughs> to me, you guys are experts. We got interviewed um, the other day on a show called Slacking Ambition and he, he sent us his little like, I don't know, not a term sheet, but like you know, we've got the interview questions and like all this like information and stuff. I'm like, wow, this guy's really on top of it. Like, we don't know. We're not, I was we're like, not doing this well. For some people I've been interviewed and they'll be like, okay, your show's going to air this date. Here's a link. Here's an image to go with it. I'd like you to do the following things to share it and promote it. And it's like this whole system. And it, yeah, you can feel like, oh, wow, I don't really have my stuff together. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> we even just got an intro probably like 10 episodes ago before. Before that, we would just like sit down at the mics and be like, how ridiculous can we start this podcast? <laughs> um, but I think we really cultivated uh, a bunch of listeners who really like just who we are, which is cool. Um, I think though we joined a community called podcasters paradise and it's full of other podcasters, other like-minded people, other people who have similar business goals. And I think that that has been really, really helpful, especially for me. I launched a yoga podcast in February and it was really, really helpful for me to have this support group as I launched this new podcast and I mean, like anything, we learned so much from the World Wanders. I feel like when I launched MBOM, I was way more on top of it. I was way more ready to go with a website and you, you just So, so you're doing, you're, so you're running a podcast around yoga right now. Yeah. So I have a podcast on the business of yoga, which is. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was Ryan's idea, what, actually. What's so it he, called? It's called MBOM. So it's like okay. MBA, but OM for yoga. So it's mastering M- the business yeah. of yoga. Gotcha. Okay. That's great. That's awesome. Is that doing well? Yeah. Yeah. It's been really good so far. And, uh, I've had just the most incredible conversations with yoga teachers from all over North America. And I think one of the, the most amazing things about hosting a podcast, like Ryan was saying, is talking to really cool people. And it's a, it's a guest based podcast. I don't really do I've only done one solo episode out of the 15 that I've put out so far. And 
I've learned so much about yoga, about being a yoga teacher, about the industry that it's just, it blows my mind sometimes that this is what I do, I guess for a living. Like this is my work is talking to people about something that I love. That's the big secret is, you know, the real benefit to podcasting is it's fun, but like you get to access people that you otherwise couldn't and just have these conversations and just learn so much. Like if you, if you really want to learn from really interesting people, start a podcast and invite them to come and interview. And, uh, it's, it's a really awesome way to build out your, your network and to just, you know, have great conversations. I'm, I'm totally with you there, which is why I have you guys on the show. Um, okay. So we did not get to several things, uh, psychedelics. I would actually love to, we might have to do this at a separate time. Talk to you guys. I know that you have, um, done some of those kind of, uh, ayahuasca retreats in the jungles of South America. I'm very interested in that. I've, I've been really interested in ayahuasca and some of the, the really interesting stuff, um, you know, kind of being done there and, and, um, ways that that can sort of help you on your journey, uh, of, you know, personal development. Yeah. We didn't get to that but maybe we'll come back. We, I'll have to bring you guys back. This gives me good, good reasons to, to bring you back on. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Zootopia, we, we need to talk Zootopia, about Zootopia bears. Uh, Ryan is in the Praxis program right now. I should have, you know, gotten in there and been like, tell us about why Praxis is so amazing. I hear uh, got a good CEO. advertisement in there. We, we can come back to that stuff maybe in another episode, but I want to ask you guys before we go, uh, first, I want to make sure everyone knows the worldwanderers.com Go down there. Uh, go down there. Go there. <laughs> download. It's actually in Mexico. Guide to uh, yeah. It's the the website itself is physically located in the south. Uh, we won't go be able to access the guide, it after the wall gets built. <laughs> the guide to traveling South America. Uh, very very cool stuff. Um, what would be if someone said to you, "Hey, you guys are an inspiration to me." You're traveling and your whole entrepreneurial gig and just kind of living life on your own terms. What's one book you would recommend? What book would come to mind for each of you? Oh, that's such a good question. Hmm. I don't know. One book. That's pretty tough. I feel like you don't know how much Ryan loves books. I don't think. How many books have you read this year, Ray? Um, Probably hundreds. (laughs) Probably not hundreds. Uh, It's like, it's like, meh. (laughs) <laughs> so, so how, okay so we don't have to hold We're you to delay, it like, delaying the like answer there. all time but like right now what's a book that you're like recently been you're read and been like oh that's a great book i would recommend that to people like just in general uh, in terms of like self-development or just any category anything anything that if someone said what book should i read what do you think? What would you pass along? Do you know You're making me do too much work to ask this question. I know. It's just hard because we're both really avid readers. Um, You're like hardcover, paperback. Yeah. Price range. Can it, can it be in the $2 <laughs> range? No. Something that has changed my life in a really, really big way, like we were talking about before, um, just how I was kind of explosively angry. Uh, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg like actually changed my life. Like It was something that you know, after Ryan and I had that big fight, I made a promise to myself that I was going to change my life in a really big way. And I was going to get my shit together basically. And I went on the search of how to communicate better with the people around me. And this book popped up in my Google search and I read it and I felt like there was something really good there, but I didn't know how to use it. And I found a practice group in Calgary, Alberta 
that I went to and then I reread the book since then I've kind of dabbled in it you know third fourth time just reading parts of it and I think that whether or not you're in a relationship communication is so huge on a day-to-day basis you communicate with every single person you interact whether or not it's a smile or a head nod or crossing your arms to close yourself off there's so many ways that you communicate and I think that having open authentic non-violent communication is really important and it's something that has fed into my my teaching as a yoga instructor into podcasting into all my relationships not just my relationship with Ryan like my relationships with my parents and my brother and my friends so I think Mm -hmm. that would be probably the book that's been the most inspirational for me while you were saying that, I could hear one of my kids uh, screaming violently in the background. So <laughs> that's great. So nonviolent communication. Who is the author? Marshall Rosenberg. Marshall Rosenberg. And Ryan, what about I, you? I, I recently read read it again, and I didn't really. I felt like I didn't relate to it as much. But a book that had a big impact on me, um, kind of in the near end of university, desiring to go adventuring, uh, was Into the Wild. Mm. Um, that's a good one. Which, yeah, kind of a sad story uh, eventually, but... Um, that, that's the one they made the movie about, right? Yeah, yeah. Where that, the, like, great Eddie Vedder soundtrack. Yes. Um, yes. Fabulous yep. soundtrack. Yeah, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. It, it is a little bit sad, but, like, there's something sort of pure about it as well. Yeah, and this just kind of, uh, kind of, like, search for something, this external search for something, which you finally come to the conclusion you've been looking outside for the solution but the solution and the search needed to be directed internally um Mm. kind of like summed up a a kind of a portion of my life um so that book was a big inspiration as far as lifestyle wise i didn't love the book the whole book but uh vagabonding by rolf potts um Mm. that that book was was big for for even though (laughs) so i shouldn't say that I haven't actually read the book, but there was a Tim <laughs> Ferriss podcast episode where there was an excerpt from the book that was read. Oh yeah, and that. that was what inspired me to be like, "Honey, we need to go spend uh, six weeks in Ecuador." Um, yeah. So I, I, I guess I shouldn't say the book has influenced me because I haven't actually read it, but that excerpt was. Yeah, and so that that definitely kind of um, hits on a lot of the the lifestyle things that. I really have tried to align my lifestyle with. Mm. Yeah. Ryan and Amanda, this has been absolutely awesome. Uh, the worldwanderers.com. If there's, is there any specific episode of the podcast you would recommend people start with or just start at episode one? Start with episode 91, Isaac Morehouse on traveling with a family. Oh, well played. You know how to stroke a guy's ego. <laughs> yes, that is the best place to start episode 91. Yeah, and we definitely did improve group. as time went along. So you do <laughs> listen to episode one. Maybe be a little lenient. That's what I always feel like, too. It's like it's like I want people to listen to the, the whole thing, but I'm also kind of like, yeah, when I go back and listen to the early ones, it's I'm, like, yeah, it's like anything. I feel like you probably have experienced this with public speaking, like getting to go back somewhere that you spoke to oh. when you were you were really new is like, yes, I'm going to blow your mind. Like, yes. Yes. I felt that go was listen teaching, to the first one. Yoga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go to the first one and then the most recent one and let me show you how much better I am. <laughs> Ryan and Amanda, this has been absolutely awesome. I uh, really appreciate it. And I hope to bring you guys back. Awesome. Thanks so Thank much, you. Isaac. You bet.